0: Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 230. So, uh, yes, yet another Joe Rogan episode. Uh, Don't worry, I'll do something different next week. I know maybe it seems like there's kind of an Inception thing going on, a podcast inside a podcast... I couldn't help myself. I was watching Joe Rogan's podcast again, and he had Michael Shermer on, and they touched on some really interesting topics. So most of you listening have probably heard of Michael Shermer. If not, he's a high-profile skeptic, the founder of the Skeptic Society, and the chief editor of Skeptic Magazine. So let's get right to it. I think the first topic is, uh, oh, boy, the flat earth. And uh, Joe and Michael Shermer do a pretty good job of debunking this nonsense. So uh, that probably saves me from having to do a flat earth episode. Thank the God I don't believe in. Here we go. We're going to talk about the flat earthers for one
1: reason. Um, the, The reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I think there's a lot of folks out there that are super gullible, and I think they're being trolled. I think they're being trolled by people who put together these. It's one of two options. Either they're being trolled by people who put together these elaborate arguments for something that they don't believe because they're just trying to make money off of YouTube views, which is entirely possible. And this needs to be thought of. I mean, it really needs to be considered. Because YouTube videos can be extremely lucrative. If you can get a YouTube video with millions of hits, and a lot of these videos on all sorts of different conspiracies and all sorts of different crazy things can generate that kind of volume mm-hmm. you're making real money
2: pennies on the dollar but if it's millions
1: yes. you can yeah it starts becoming real money and starts and if you do a bunch of them and you can you do them on a regular basis it becomes a gig it becomes like what they do they they right. create these silly videos but people who just don't have the time or the inclination to actually read scientific papers and articles and journals and all these different things that explain how we've known for a long time that the Earth is round. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah, it's a myth that uh, Columbus proved that the Earth is, is not flat, that it's round. They The ancients knew, the Greeks knew, Columbus knew, they, everyone knew uh, well, they then that it was round. Uh, The Sumerians
1: knew. Absolutely. Their depictions on clay, when they drew it in clay, they drew all the planets as circles. Right. They knew.
2: Right. I mean, there's some obvious simple ones anybody could do. If you see an eclipse, like a lunar eclipse, you can see the Earth's shadow on the moon. It's round. Uh, You know, if if you're high enough and, you know, the ships are sailing out, you can see the mast is the last thing you would see as the whole drops over the horizon first slowly you know there's things like that that we know the earth is round uh you know you travel around you come back to where you started um you know now their explanation the flat earthers is that yeah it's round like a pizza but a round flat pizza and all the continents are on the one flat face side up and that the satellites are up there going around it's like yeah but the satellite photos don't show all the continents in one picture because Some of them are on the other side of the globe, so that refutes that.
1: Well, not only that, but they think that satellites are actually in planes. They're in planes in low earth orbit that are just circling around. There's no actual satellites. They don't even believe in satellites.
2: Yeah. So uh, back to your original (laughs) comment, I, I, some of these recent ones are so crazy that you can't help but think, okay, they don't believe that they're just yanking our chain for maybe financial reasons. But that does get to the question I always get, which is do these people really believe it? The cult leaders, the people that make uh, extraordinary claims, are they just making this stuff up? You know, people make shit up all the time. It's called fiction fantasy. Uh, or do they really believe it? Are they, you know, true believers? And you know, it's hard to tell. It's hard to get inside people's heads. Uh, the old flat earthers in the 19th century, I think they really did believe it. Uh, there wasn't much money to be made, you know, on those kinds of things. I mentioned the. Uh, alfred russell wallace who was the co-discoverer of natural selection with darwin i wrote my dissertation on him and wrote a biography of him and he was quite the colorful character who was so open-minded to new ideas that he was also gullible so open-minded enough to see this radical new theory of the evolution of life by natural selection that's good pioneered other fields like biogeography and so on but he also uh, was really into spiritualism and phrenology seances channeling all that stuff and and, and then he encountered an ad in one of the natural history magazines for this um, 500 pound bet if anybody could prove the earth is round so he devised a test and he went down to the bedford canal which is a long straight like 10 10 kilometers long you can see the whole distance and if you put these little sticks in the ground with markers on them and you get a little telescope like a um, a surveyor's scope and you line it up you can see that it bends Uh, so at each point the stick is you know three meters above the ground at each point and uh, but you can see that it's dropped down in the last one so it's bent so he won the bet but he didn't get paid, of course, because these people are cranks. And uh, so we had to take him to court. This ended up uh, costing him about 15 years of his career, you know, just wasting time, you know, writing letters and getting court dates and suing this guy and, you know, whatever. Just to the, try to win the bet? Yeah, just try to win the bet. So, and, and of course, what happens, you get caught up emotionally, like, I'm not going to let this <laughs> bastard get away with this. You know, he should have just cut his losses and left. But anyway. And I found these letters that this guy wrote to the National Ge- or the, uh, the Royal Geographical society about uh alfred russell wallace you know you have one member of your society that should be you know he's a quack and a crank and you know and he wrote letters to the to wallace's wife you know you better not sleep in your bed at night quietly because i'm coming to get you guys and it's like like death threats yeah so uh you know you're it's always questionable to deal with cranks uh, because some of them are a little uh mentally deranged
1: Sure, and they can attach themselves to someone like Wallace or Darwin or anybody else. If if you can somehow or another connect yourself to them in some sort of an argument, it kind of legitimizes you at least in a way because that person's giving you attention, that person's engaging you, and it elevates your standing. And then whenever right. two people are arguing, a certain amount of people are, are going to choose sides. They're they're just going to even if. What you're saying doesn't make any sense. There's going to be a gang of people that go, I like what he's saying. And they're going to it, join right. in. And people love, and they love to be on a team. They love to be, they want to be on Team Wallace or Team Crank. Right. That's a natural Well, part and of that's people. also
2: why people, like a lot of the creationists, want to debate Dawkins. Yes. Because he's the guy. He's the number right. one, top, best known biological scientist in the world. Possibly for since Darwin himself, if I can get him on stage, and as Dawkins likes to say, this will look better on your resume than mine, so I'll pass. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't need the money, so.
1: Well, in the contrary argument, or the uh, the other position is so many people who are actual scientists want to debate Deepak.
2: Oh, well, yes, and I have debated Deepak. And now, so here's uh, back to this question is does he really believe it? Because people, m- most people, skeptics and atheists think, well, Deepak's just a fraud, a con man selling uh, snake oil. I don't think so. I've known him now for a, a number of years and the last year, I've spent a lot of time with him. And the reason I know he believes it, absolutely what he says, is because he's always working on me um, privately, you know, if we're at lunch or dinner, or, I mean, I got, you know, half a dozen emails just the last two days from Deepak. <laughs> and, you know, it's not for public consumption. He's not trying to, we're right. not debating. He, he's just trying to convince me, uh, you know, that he's right. Like, Was
1: he trying to convince you? <laughs>
2: well, uh, about consciousness. here. Uh, Can you do it in his so voice, here, please? Uh, so here, here, when he you just read them? a quote from Vendanta, all of the body is in the mind, but not all of the mind is in the body, uh, Swami Rama.
1: Mm, Well, as long as he's quoting Swami Rama, we know.
0: (laughs) So after yet another night of drinking, I'm back through the magic of editing. Did you almost forget you were listening to the Weekend Out podcast? I know I let that clip go for a while without interrupting, uh, but I thought Joe and uh, Michael Shermer were on a roll, and I didn't feel the need to butt in with my two cents. So, Shermer there reading that quote was speaking, so it seemed to me, I, I could be wrong, as if Vedanta is a person. Vedanta is actually a kind of school of Indian philosophy. I believe the word references the ancient Hindu scriptures known as the Vedas. Uh, specifically, if memory serves me, it translates to something like the end of the Vedas or something to that effect. Uh, which is why the term Vedanta can be seen as referring to the Upanishads, the final part or chapters of the Vedas. Okay, and let's see, they were also talking about Deepak Chopra uh, there. Um, And if you're not familiar, Deepak Chopra is this kind of new age guru who's been kicking around for decades now. Uh, He started as a medical doctor. I believe he studied or specialized in endocrinology. He practiced medicine here in New England for a while. Uh, I think he was the chief of staff at New England Memorial Hospital. I have a relative who was supposedly a patient of Deepak's and who doesn't have uh, very fond memories of him. As for me, I remember being a young seeker, probably in my late teens, had already gone through some dark nights of the soul, uh, some existential bouts, which I've talked about on the show, and had pretty much closed the door on literal belief in Christianity and belief in the Western concept of a personal God. And I entered this phase where I got really deep into meditation and Eastern religion and spirituality. And I used to watch Deepak Chopra's talks on PBS, and I even bought his book, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. I remember telling my best friend, who was, technically still is, uh, the bassist in our band, Um, that I was going to apply what I read in that book, and, and it would help us get famous and succeed as a band. And man, I'm cringing just talking about it. We never did get that recording contract. I want my money back, Deepak. Kidding. I'm sure I've lost the receipt by now. So next, Joe and Michael Shermer are going to talk about something I've been dying to discuss on the show for a while, and that's this idea of achieving immortality by uploading consciousness. I have issues with the idea uh, simply because I don't think it would actually be you. I think it would be a simulation of you at best. But I'll chime in again in a bit. So here's Joe and Michael talking about aging and technological methods of trying to achieve immortality and so forth. So
2: uh, I just reviewed this uh, another book for Wall Street Journal called "Why Men Age," about aging, what we know, and you know we know a lot, but there's we know there's we also know there's a lot. You, there's only so much you can do. You know, that, that Why pro- is it just men? Uh, the guy was he's he's a doc who mm-hmm. treats men for right. aging. Right, is whatever. it, it a the a specific also, difference? Uh, well, there are some differences, but I think there's I think a mar- from a marketing perspective, there's already a bunch of books up for women on mm. aging. There's not much about men, and anyway, that was it. It right. doesn't it re- doesn't really matter because it's really all the same process. Ultimately, your telomeres will get you.
0: So Michael Shermer just mentioned telomeres there, and you may have heard of them. There's been a lot of talk of telomeres and their role in the aging process lately. So here's kind of a a concise little definition of telomeres and what they do from a site called Telomerase Activation Sciences. Okay, Our cells replenish by copying themselves. This happens constantly throughout our lives. Telomeres get shorter each time a cell copies itself, but the important DNA stays intact. Eventually, telomeres get too short to do their job, causing our cells to age and stop functioning properly. Therefore, telomeres act as the aging clock in every cell. Telomeres are shortened as we age, but telomeres can also be shortened by stress, smoking, obesity, lack of exercise, and poor diet. And I have something of a sweet tooth, and I remember kind of a scary news story not long ago that was suggesting that drinking soda could do as much damage to your DNA or shorten your telomeres uh, as much as, say, smoking could. But for some reason, I think it was specifically soda with corn syrup in it. So I don't know if the same holds true for cane sugar or whatever, but I, I imagine a high-sugar diet isn't good for you uh, in general. So I could be in trouble. And ironically, it's uh, it's 11 in the morning, and uh, I'm already drinking Coca-Cola. And they don't even put cocaine in it anymore.
2: And the idea, well, we live twice as long as our ancestors did a century ago, you know. Yeah, that's true, but really no one's living above 120. Just more and more people are pushing up to the upper ceiling because of public health and just general stuff we do that makes us healthier, but terms of longevity and aging, you can't stop it. All you can do is kind of you hopefully slow it down a little bit, and and you want to have a higher quality of life the further up you go, as opposed to lying in bed in with tubes for the last 10 years of your life or something like that. So those, that's where the future research is, where the breakthroughs will come, not not radical life extensionists that I've also written about. You know, we're going to live 500 years. You know, Shermer, don't you want to live 500 years? I said, look, just get me to 90 without Alzheimer's and cancer, okay? Uh, uh, let's just start one decade at a time it's just easy yeah you know because you know the problems are really complex well
1: i think the quality of life thing that you mentioned is one of the most important things like we are i have this phrase that i've said many times but i'm gonna say it because it fits right here we all love to sleep but everyone's afraid to die Mm. we love to Mm -hmm. shut off we love to shut off at night everybody loves it and we look forward to it but that one big shut off when you're not coming back is just too fucked up (laughs) it's (laughs) just too much well, but here it's, I think it's uh, inevitable. Uh,
2: uh, this is my in my next book. I have a chapter called uh, uh, "Afterlife for Atheists." So these are not just the radical life extensionists, but the the mind uploaders. Mm. And and so you know you're gonna scan your connectome, put it in a computer, and then you know you'll wake up in the computer like Johnny Depp in that right. Transcendence movie. Here's the problem: when you go to sleep tonight, you wake up tomorrow. Maybe you're groggy for a few minutes, but yeah, then you're you're back. You still feel like you. There's a continuity between today and tomorrow. Or you get general anesthesia surgery, you wake up, you're groggier for a little bit longer, but the continuity comes back. It's still you.
0: I think Michael Shermer brings up a very interesting point with uh, the mention of continuity. There is this weird aspect to waking up, whether it's waking up in the morning or waking up after surgery. I've, I've had, I think I've had three surgeries now. And um, I think that's even more profound when you finally regain consciousness after being in that deep anesthetized state during surgery. It's almost like you're popping back into existence again, and you're like, whoa, where was I? And uh, as Joe said, we love sleep, though. People love to turn off and go to sleep, you know, try to forget their worries at the end of the day, but we fear death. No one wants that big final shutdown. I remember years ago watching this documentary on the, uh, it could have been on the Discovery Channel, I can't remember. But they were interviewing a scientist, and and take it with a grain of salt, because it, it could have been some fringe theory. But he was suggesting that perhaps every night when we go to sleep... It's almost like your mind is kind of defragging like a computer, breaking things down, rearranging things, uh, and it's almost like your identity, your mind, just gets wiped and reassembled. So, in a way, it's almost like a new you every morning, and you're just going on uh, the memories of yesterday's you that have been kind of, you know, put back together or whatever. And for some reason, I find that really disturbing. In that sense, you could say it's almost like you die every night and uh, wake up is kind of like a, a clone or a simulation of yourself. But once again, could just be some fringe theory or some scientist fever dream. Or maybe there's something to it. Who knows?
2: So the question is, Is if you are you die and we have a scan of your connectome and we put it in a computer and turn it on, are you going to wake up in the computer like you did from sleep? And I don't think so. I think it would just be a copy of your, if this could ever be done, which is very unlikely because it's a super hard problem. But
0: So Michael Shermer echoes my thoughts exactly. Even if you could find a way to map out, someone's mind all their attributes their characteristics etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you upload all that onto a computer and kind of run it like an application or whatever it's a simulation it's not you I think it would still be a valid scientific endeavor I think we should try to do that, see if we can kind of replicate someone's consciousness, uh, their memories, their personality, and bring it to life in a computer. But let's say we did that, to illustrate my point, with a living person. Let's say they map out the complete schematics of your brain, and they pinpoint all of your personality traits. Uh, Maybe there's even a scientific breakthrough that allows them to map or record your memories. And then they upload and run all that on a computer. Okay, you're on one side of the room, the computer's on the other side of the room. You're your own unique self. That simulation or whatever it is on the computer is just that, a simulation the technology would be really cool, and I think we should still pursue it. But I don't think we should be working under the assumption or the delusion that that's somehow actually you, and that there's real continuity there between you and that simulation. They're two different things. To think otherwise is, I think, it's just wish thinking. It still might be nice for the family. They can interact with this simulation and remember dad, Uh, You you know, it might be a kind of fancy version of keeping Fluffy's ashes on the mantle.
2: Let's just say it could. Um, I I think there's a break in continuity uh, from death. You're dead. That's it. And this thing we have is a copy of you. It would be like if we cloned your body and then you die and then we reconstruct the body and there you are. That's not you, not first person through the eyes, Mm. me. It's just a copy of me
1: devil's advocate if i was going to play devil's advocate to that what i would say is with our current understanding and abilities right now you're correct however whatever we have right now whatever we are right now if we can understand it down to the subatomic particles if we can literally understand you as a person like you as you stand right here september 15th 2016 If we can understand every single aspect of you, including consciousness, we're not there yet. Obviously, there's a lot of debates and there's a lot of struggles, but we're looking at it in terms of what our current understanding is. If we looked at it in terms of the understanding of people that lived in the year 100 A.D., it would be a completely different idea of possibilities like our possibilities today are incredibly expansive in comparison to people that lived in you know 1776 just the idea of what we what we understand about what it means when you talk about atoms, molecules, uh, the, the idea of telomeres, all these, uh, all the knowledge that we have today, yeah. imagine that expanding exponentially for the next 500, 1,000 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. It's entirely possible that if we get to that point, we can recreate reality to a point where I have a theory about people, and it's comp- this completely unqualified, and don't listen to me, but <laughs> I think it's entirely possible that, you know how bees make honey? I think people might make the universe. I think it's entirely possible that the way the universe makes itself, it makes a person. It makes a monkey. The monkey eventually figures out how to way to not get eaten
0: by leopards and the smart ones become a monkey. And then they figure out shelter. Wait, the monkey becomes a monkey again. I think uh, I'm just kind of teasing. I think Joe probably just misspoke. He probably meant the monkey becomes a hominid uh, or um, a human or something like that. And this theory of Joe's, or should I say hypothesis, because theory in the scientific sense, blah blah. I'm not getting into that again. But uh, whatever it is, this this idea of Joe's is is. Pretty wild. And then they figure out agriculture, and then they really get going.
1: And once they really get going, what they start doing is creating technology. They create in the form of a wheel or in the form of a bucket to carry the water so they don't have to keep drinking out of the river and getting crocodiles and fucking Jardia and everybody's dying from inborn disease. We figure things out slowly but surely. And along the way, they make better and better things until they develop computers, until they develop artificial intelligence. They make something that can think for itself and then they put that thing to work and that thing gets better in two weeks than 10,000 years of human development, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that thing probably is how the universe gets created that the universe, like this idea that the universe has no beginning and no end that it's this infinite cycle of maybe,
0: and maybe it does that through people. (laughs) I like how Michael Shermer is like, hmm Uh, (laughs) it could be a good chance he's just trying to be polite there I love Joe Rogan, and I love the way that he's interested in expanding and exploring consciousness and kind of pushing the envelope and thinking outside the box. And I even love this idea where I think it's very thought-provoking, it's very creative. And so he's painting this kind of cyclical scenario where human beings bring the universe into being via super advanced technology, AI, etc. And then this just kind of perpetuates itself. It's this cyclical thing without beginning or end. The problem with that for me is at some point, human beings would have had to have set this cycle off. There would have had to have been the first time when humans discovered this grand technological breakthrough that allowed them to create the universe or reality. So it would have had to have a beginning somewhere. And if it had a beginning, that means that something existed before humans, before they had this breakthrough. So humans couldn't have created the universe. I mean, I think it's kind of a poetic and thought-provoking idea that as a species, we're almost like this, organic network that evolved and developed, and then our technology evolved and developed and exponentially became more and more complex, and we gave rise to the very universe we live in. But now, as I say it, it sounds batshit crazy. Uh, (laughs) So kind of a beautiful, wild idea, but uh, a very problematic. And uh, I think it's almost like when people talk about God or the universe, you run to the problem of infinite regress. If humans created the universe or the matrix or whatever it is, um, who created uh, the humans that created the universe or the matrix or whatever it is? Or to put it simply, how could humans create the universe if humans were already living in the universe before they created the universe? Ah, uh, this is some weird shit to be wrestling with after a night of drinking, even for me.
1: Maybe it makes people and in or our through through intelligence of yes, some kind, some sort yeah. of intelligence. But what we currently understand and know of the known universe, we're the only ones that we know of. Right, and we're looking at what we're doing. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are we doing? Like, what are we? Where are we going with this? We are just gonna keep going. Like when Elon Musk starts talking about artificial intelligence, (laughs) who's one of the most important and uh, popular and famous technology enthusiasts, starts talking about artificial intelligence being summoning the demon. Yeah. I mean, that's how he described it. We could be summoning a demon. I know. I, I really think that might be what we do. I think we're getting caught up in the Kardashians, and we're looking at who's got a fake butt, and you know, are those chemtrails in the sky? And right. I'm in the 12-step program. And I'm fucking Crossfitting. <laughs> and meanwhile, what we're doing is we're giving birth to some new form of transcendent technology that literally rewires reality itself.
2: Yep. Well, that is an actual theory. Uh, you know, the that we're living in the Matrix. That it's all a computer simulation, and it's all equivalent of a holodeck somewhere but Uh, i don't even know if it was was so real there if it was so real you couldn't distinguish between the holodeck world you're in and this world then how would you know right so it really becomes one of these thought experiments that's fun to contemplate but how would you test it to see if it was true or not
0: once again i'm in 100 percent agreement with michael Shermer. Uh, I like thinking about that, too. I think I was just talking to a friend about that. How, I mean, it's true, for all you know, we could be in a simulation. Our actual bodies could be elsewhere, or we could just be some AI program that's running or something like that. But, of course, this is pure speculation and as Michael Shermer points out, how would you test it? So this is stuff that's fun to think about, but you have to try to stay grounded somewhat and try to keep things in perspective.
2: And so the, uh, there he What is, is this? What are you pu- pulling up there, Jamie? I just Jamie? Googled his name in AI, and this <clears throat> came up from yesterday. He's oh talking God. about neural lace.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, this
2: is, you know, Kurzweil's been talking about this for a long time. You know, the singularity really will come about with a fusion between human intelligence and artificial intelligence.
1: Well, for people who are listening, read the uh, the title there, Jamie. What does it say there? Scroll up. There. Elon Musk hints at neural lace project to fuse AI with the human brain.
2: (gasps) Well, in a way, um, a cochlear implant.
1: You said cuck. (laughs) Do you know what that means?
2: (laughs) Cochlear. Do you know what
1: cuck means? No. It's it's the new... (laughs) We'll, we'll go over that another time. Oh, it's it? the new insults on the internet. What's the figure about how much data gets pushed on the internet in a day that I think it's there's a short amount of time. I forget what the window is, but in that time, more data gets passed right. than in, in the entirety well, ha- of I human history.
2: I have that. That's, uh, that was at the beginning of Peter Diamandis' book on uh, the the rapid growth of technology um, it's some insane number. Yeah, it, it was number. like every month now, it's the equivalent of all everything that's ever been printed in the yeah, history of humanity. I, ever. I don't have to look. It's just a huge number.
1: Just think about that, and then think about how many books Ron Hubbard must have written. Because L. Ron <laughs> well, Hubbard wrote more books than anyone who's ever lived.
2: You know, if you go to the Scientology centers around the world, they, they all have a room with his desk and a writing pad.
1: It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's literally like this,
2: in case he comes back. <laughs>
1: In uh, case he comes back. Yeah. Zombie L. Ron comes <laughs> right. stumbling through the door with rotten clothes and his skin's <laughs> hanging off of his bones. And Ugh, time to write.
0: <laughs> First time I listened to this, I was laughing my ass off. I love Joe Rogan.
1: So,
2: I mean, if you carry out your argument, you know, it's just only a matter of time before, uh, you know, sort of that, that singularity is reached. And yeah. then... I mean, one argument for the singularity: you create the virtual reality that's indistinguishable. It's just that you just need enough data. Right. It's really an engineering problem. And time. But the question would still be: in that world, would you feel like you right now, like Mm. through the eyes, first person experiencing? Why not? Why not? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that it would. I'm not. I'm not sure either. I mean, I kind of see the cryonics argument because being chronically frozen and waking up, woken up again, if you could make that happen. That seems like fall asleep, wake up, anesthesia, wake up, chronically frozen, wake up. It feels to me like it's the same.
0: So not to sound like a broken record, but I agree with Michael Shermer once again. I think it, it, there's a difference between creating a simulation of someone and actually preserving someone's physical body and brain and then thawing it out or resurrecting it. And, of course, we know... That's very tricky. We're able to freeze people right now, but we don't know if we'll ever be able to wake them up again due to the cellular damage that takes place during the the freezing process. But as far as, you know, would a simulation of yourself, would it feel like you, looking out through the eyes, first person, as Michael Shermer says— It might, for the simulation, the simulation might think it's you, but it's still a different entity than the original you. The original you could be long gone, you know, rotting in a grave or whatever, and the simulation is walking around thinking it's you, but the original you has no idea. It's obliterated.
1: So Michael, that, that the flaw in your thinking is consciousness <laughs> is not in your mind. Well, consciousness just, is in the space is, that surrounds you. It's right. eternal. <laughs> it is transcendent. I, asked I needed the, to I study asked, him uh, to get a good Deepak impression because that one's racist as fuck. That one's just your <laughs> <laughs> average Indian guy.
2: <laughs> well, this is what he argues. Um, yes. That when you die, you're consciousness your mind goes to where it was before you were born
1: yeah but the problem is you don't fucking know that
2: well no he one knows know. no right. one knows that so I you mean, can't
1: say that that's what it
2: does my argument is well where were you before you were born <gasps> I mean most people go well what do, you, what do you mean it's a non question I wasn't anywhere before I was born right and when you die you won't be anywhere now so but maybe but, but Buddhists think that um, you know that you just return to the consciousness in the sky the forest the wherever it is. I think
1: our number one problem is that we try to have uh, a place where you go. We try to have an explanation. Yeah,
2: we feel like it's a place, but Deepak tells me this is completely wrong way to say it. You're (sighs) you're not going any place. There's no place.
1: Mm. Well, here's the, the problem even with that. I think there's an issue with saying that you know anything about what happens after death. Right. You could have a ton of theories you could have like possibilities that you ponder. You could sit down and be as creative as you want. You could start and think about the, the number of known stars in the universe and then start to perceive how immense the universe is and what, what is going on in consciousness itself. And when it when it ends, does that energy go somewhere and become something that we haven't considered? You could do that all day long right? and it's fun.
0: I was surprised Michael Shermer didn't bring up the kind of misuse of The term energy there, (laughs) which people often do when talking about the spirit or the soul and how it might be able to survive death, because there's that misuse of the first law of thermodynamics, how energy is neither created nor destroyed. But Of course, that's referring to the physical sciences, um, heat, etc., not some vague notion of spirit energy. But the problem is
1: when anyone says they know, Right. You go back to become a baby again, and you start the world from... Fr- How the fuck do you know? You don't. The answer is right. you don't. Right. It's interesting to think that you might be a baby again. It's interesting to think that you might live... Your, like, I've heard the... I don't forget what religion uh, promotes this possibility, but that you live your entire life over and over and over again until you get it right. And that's where the term well, like, old soul right, comes reincarnation, from. Reincarnation. Like, you're running... Hinduism. like the, Like, you're obviously a very wise man, Michael Shermer, so you probably were an idiot... A few hundred thousand Making generations progress. ago <laughs> right. but you've gotten to this point where you've you've figured out how to live your life very harmoniously and in doing that you you exhibit all the traits of an old soul this is a instead of you know there's certain people out there you know, we all have seen them on the internet that do ridiculous things, and it's just like, why are they so stupid? Why are they doing? Well, maybe they've only this is their <laughs> third a, or fourth go around. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that's that, that is entirely possible. We don't know. You don't know why you were born. You don't know what happens when you die. The problem is in saying that you have an explanation, right? Whether it's a materialist, very cold scientific analysis of the possibilities in terms of like what we know today and deny any possibilities of anything being anything other than death being the end like that we don't know that either it's it's, well okay right that's correct but
2: so from the scientific null hypothesis that is your theory is not true until proven otherwise we would be when when you're nothing happens when you're dead you're just gone could be. Unless there's some other alternative we can test. Right. So one of my favorite thought experiments comes from Carl Sagan's Demon Haunted World. uh, Awesome book. Awesome book. The chapter is called There's a Dragon in My Garage. (laughs) So uh, I tell you, uh, Joe, I have a dragon in my garage. You do? So cool. Can I see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here. Here. So I open the garage door. You look in. There's some paint cans, a ladder, a bike. No dragon. Uh, Well, it's an invisible dragon. Okay, so you say, uh, well, let's put some powder down on the ground, and then when he walks around, we'll see his footprints. Well, you see, this dragon hovers about three feet above the ground at all times. And you say, well, I got some infrared cameras here. We could detect the heat. No, uh, this is a cold-blooded dragon. It gives off no temperature at all. You know, well, oh, I have this heat detector, and when it spits out the fire, then we'll see that the fire comes out of it, and that'll prove that it. Well, no, it's cold fire. Now, this is not heat generating fire; it's a very special kind of fire. Okay, so Sagan's point is, what's the difference between an, you know, invisible, hovering, cold, indetectable, immeasurable dragon, and no dragon at all? So if there's not if there's not some way for us to get at it, then we can't assume it exists.
1: Exactly, and that we would have... be
2: God. I would I apply that to God. You know, because people, well, God is outside of space and time. Okay, how do you know? It, it, if he's outside of space and time, there's no way to measure it. Well, he reaches into the, our world to stir the particles, cure the cancer, whatever. Okay, can we measure that? And does it look different from what happens naturally? In other words, why, why is it that what always, God always cures is things that might have gotten better anyway? You know, tumors do go into remission. And, but most of them don't. Most people, they get cancer, they die. So why didn't God heal them? He only seems to heal the ones that naturally go into remission. How come he doesn't grow amputated limbs for Christian soldiers coming back from Iraq? How come you know these are Christian families praying for their Christian loved ones who lost a limb? You know he's, he's busy curing cancer over here, but why can't he handle the ones that never, ever naturally grow back? What's the difference between an invisible dragon and no dragon? Well, that's So always, you know, When you, but this is my theory of the afterlife. That's nice. How do you know?
0: You do not. So I really loved that exchange there. And I love that Carl Sagan anecdote or example that Michael Shermer recalled. And uh, it also sounds like he was repeating something I- I've heard Richard Dawkins say too. I think I was watching a... Documentary Richard Dawkins did, and he was at that holy pilgrimage site. Uh, is it Lord or Lords uh, in France? And he was talking about how, why is it when people say they were miraculously healed, it was things that might have gotten better anyway. And we never see anything truly miraculous like the regeneration of a severed limb, etc.
1: You do not know. And when it comes to religion, the idea of some sort of a powerful being that's in charge of the whole picture and it's got a grand plan for it all is uh, it's kind of comforting to some people and it's and it's an interesting possibility and again it's something to consider it's something to think about it's an idea that's been around for a long time why has it been around for so long I don't know well let's go over some of the other things that have been around for a long time let's (laughs) look at what else is in that book is there any other shit in that book that you might think is ridiculous? Oh, isn't there a story in that book about two children that taunt a man because he's bald, so they sick bears on the kids? Do you remember that story in the Bible? <laughs> no, I don't was remember. It, what is his name? <laughs>
0: Elisha? was this, the guy's name? I'm actually familiar with this one. It's actually Elisha, E-L-I-S-H-A. For some reason, I used to get confused with Elijah, and it's from um, the Book of Kings, or maybe it's Elisha. <clears throat> I don't know. Alicia sounds like a chick's name. But <laughs> but uh, here's um, a bit from that biblical passage. Let's see. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Eh, Not too creative with the insults. When he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. And he went from there to Mount Carmel. And from there he returned to Samaria. Samaria, not Samaria. I've been playing Conan Exile, so
1: who is taunted Uh, by these children because of his baldness. So God summons two bears to come out of the woods and maul these children and kill them because they taunted his baldness. That would be fitting with the Old Testament. I mean, but if you're talking to someone who's a religious person who believes in the Bible and you throw that around, one of the first things that goes, well, that's the Old Testament. Right. Well, okay. So the Old Testament is not valid. Right. The New Testament, the one that was written by Constantine
0: and a group of bishops, where they got <laughs> right. down, and they,
1: th- they wrote it out, what, 500
0: years after Jesus died? Constantine did not write the Bible. Uh, he lived in the 4th century. Uh, he's often referred to as the first Christian emperor. Whether or not he converted to Christianity for political reasons or out of sincere conviction, or whether he actually converted at all is still a matter of some contention, or could have been a mixture of political and personal motivations. Uh, It is known that Constantine's mother, Helena, was a devout Christian, and according to tradition, at an elderly age, even helped locate some of the supposed holy sites in the Holy Land, there's this erroneous notion that's been perpetuated by books like the Da Vinci Code, that the Bible was written at the First Council of Nicaea. It was actually short, sometime afterward, not too long afterward, relatively speaking, Constantine commissioned Eusebius, an early church scholar, to kind of assemble and prepare 50 copies of a greek language bible that would contain you know a, a decided on canon or collection of books yeah just to give you some perspective the first council of nicaea was in 325 Constantine commissioned Eusebius to produce fifty Greek language Bibles in 331. That, well,
1: one's, yeah. legit? <laughs> right,
0: that point, one's legit. I see. That one's legit. Yeah, well,
1: like, that's a more ridiculous one. Everyone, because Constantine wasn't even ca- he wasn't even Christian. Well,
2: yeah, well, so I mean, the Gospels appear to be written thirty to sixty. The first one, 30 to sixty years after Jesus died. Book of Mark. The others were copied from Mark. Obviously, John is really weird. And, uh, you know, no one knew him. These weren't, you know, the gospel authors didn't know. They weren't his disciples. They didn't know him. So this is secondhand, thirdhand, whatever. And there was a committee that decided what gospels got in and what gospels were in The Gospel of Thomas, for example, was voted out. Why? Who knows?
0: Thomas is one of what's known as the Gnostic Gospels. And it is true that, you know, people, men, decided which books would be included, which wouldn't. But uh, it wasn't the First Council of Nicaea. I don't know if that's being suggested once again there. At the First Council of Nicaea, what they really accomplished, I think, was uh, agreeing on a date for Easter, uh, trying to pin that down the divine nature of Jesus and his relationship to the Father. And I think they came up with the first part of the Nicene Creed. And uh, I probably don't need to say it, but I'm an agnostic atheist. But uh, I believe in just trying to get the history right. Took like a Twitter poll.
2: it <laughs> took a Twitter poll. Yeah, it really is. Of a they, middle, just, they got all together. Uh, medieval Twitter poll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, when did Jesus become a conservative? You know, I mean in the in the Gospels, he talks about uh, you know giving up your belongings, taking yeah. care of the poor. You know, uh,
1: the, chance, out with the
2: chances of a rich man going to heaven, or like going through the eye of a needle, you Dude, can't
1: do he it. he was a winemaker. Yeah, he made wine for people. Carpenter.
0: I've never necessarily heard of Jesus referred to as a winemaker per se. Uh, Jill might be referencing the story of the wedding at Cana, where Jesus perfor- supposedly performed this miracle where he turned uh, water into wine. I've heard some people speculate that this may have been. A parable which in part, the purpose of which, was to try to put Jesus in opposition against or in competition with or above the Greek god Dionysus, who is one of, if not my favorite mythological figures. Dionysus is not only a god of wine and and intoxication, but a god of... Uh, Death and Resurrection, a god of primal or primordial ecstasy. Uh, Yeah, definitely one of my favorite figures. I've actually been contemplating getting a Dionysus tattoo, which would be my first tattoo. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Right. So um, his conservative values would be suspect if you actually read what he said.
1: Yeah, I mean, all the depictions of him looks like a fucking hippie. It looks (laughs) like a dirty white hippie. Somehow or another, a white guy grew up in the Middle East in, you know, the year zero. <laughs> like, I have a feeling they probably looked like they look now, don't you think? I mean, why does that guy look so, like, he looks like a lost kid who lives in Idaho. Like, he's rebelling <laughs> right. from his parents. and.
2: Well, I think that's what made The Life of Brian such a great film. Yes. You know, the Monty Python. It's like they really nailed it.
1: And they nailed it a long time ago. Right. Jeez. Back when you really couldn't do
2: this before blazing saddle.
0: yeah life of brian definitely was a great film uh always look on the bright side <laughs> and uh with that being said i'll call this episode a wrap you guys know the drill please like the facebook page i think i lost a couple of likes recently i don't know why uh i might i might have posted a couple of political stories that may have driven people away i usually don't touch on politics too much on the uh facebook page unless it directly has to do with uh, religion or gay rights or something like that, or um, freedom of speech or separation of church and state, etc. Yeah, so please like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. Um, you can subscribe to the show via iTunes or Podbean if you want to help the show monetarily. You can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. Just go to Podbean and look for The Week in Doubt, or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekindoubt and help support the show for as little as 99 cents a month and quit anytime you want. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.